From the game gurus at Snakes and Lattes, you're listening to the Snakes Cast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. From Snakes and Lattes, Toronto's premier board game cafe, this is the Snakes Cast, a weekly podcast where the game gurus of Snakes and Lattes discuss what it is about games that make them worth playing. With your host, Jonathan Moriarty. Welcome to the Snakes Cast, everyone. I'm Jonathan Moriarty. Joining me this week is Travis Ryan. Hey, guys. And uh, we talked a few uh, episodes ago about meme games. We talked last time about competitive games that aren't really all that antagonistic. But what if you don't want to compete against the other players at all? Where's the fun in that? (laughs) That is a question a lot of people will ask. But there is a genre of game called cooperative games. If you want to play something that's where everybody's one big team against the game, and the game itself is your opponent, that's our topic for today. So, uh, Travis, do you, uh, based on what you've said, I'm getting the impression you're not really a fan of co-op games. Oh, I was actually just being bitter. I love co-op games. They're easily one of my favorites. How come? Uh, I like it because it's a very different style of game that you're not really seeing with a lot of others, uh, especially when you recommend it to customers. As soon as I recommend the idea of, hey, have you guys played a cooperative game before? It's one where you're working together. They all just sort of look at me funny. Like, it's true. Like it's a game it's, where it's we something that together. hasn't really filtered out into the popular consciousness yet, so you get to introduce people to it. It's got this novelty factor, which is awesome. Um, so apart from the novelty, what, uh, what do you think is the appeal of co-op games? What makes people go for them? Uh, I find that it's very social, which is very neat. Between uh, other games where you're looking at that, with cooperative games, you are always having to interact with those other players. Yeah, communication's really key, right? For sure. Uh, you know, you're going to be working together with these other people, and you have to talk about it. Whereas even in a competitive game, you don't have to do that. You can keep everything close to the chest, and you don't have to be competitive with people. Well, there, there are some competitive games that will kind of punish you for not doing that. But yes, oh, no, I, for sure. Your, but... your, your, your point is well taken, though. It's true. And I find that particularly when there's two players, if two players want a game that's social, exactly. where, they can, where they can do a lot of talking, a co-op game is often the best way to do that. So have you got any favorites, any, any co-op games that you really like to play or that you really like to recommend? I really, really like Pandemic and Flashpoint. Those are two of my absolute favorites. Uh, Hanabi's another big one. However, there's others that have cooperative elements that are all scattered around that I really do like. Pandemic is probably the one that most people and our audience have heard of before. You might not know that much about it. Uh, the deal with Pandemic is that the world is suffering from a massive global outbreak of infectious disease, and the players are a team of experts trying to discover cures for these four deadly strains of the disease. And if you can cure them all, then you all win together. And if you don't, then the human race goes extinct and you all lose. Hooray! So no pressure there. Yeah, no, no, no biggie. And uh, each player gets their own unique special ability they can use. Like you might be the scientist who's better at discovering cures. You might be the medic who's better at treating victims. You get to travel around the world and build research stations and stuff. Lots of fun. Also uh, worth taking a look into the expansion. Uh, the expansion actually allows you to play as the virus, which is also kind of cool. Which, of course, takes away from the co-op element. But if you're liking it, definitely take a look at it. Absolutely. Uh, You mentioned Hanabi. Yes. Uh, I only actually learned Hanabi recently. Uh, It's a little different in that it's very much similar to card games that a lot of people have played, even non-gamers. You look at things like set matching games like Rummy and Phase 10. Yeah, because the cards have suits and colors and numbers on them. Yeah, Uh, which is funny because I showed this to my parents who, again, are not big gamers, but they do play cards a lot and they love Hanabi now. They think it's really cool. Um, And that's what I really like about it is that it's accessible for other gamers. Another one that I really, probably my favorite co-op game is Space Alert. It's a game that sadly is completely unplayable at the cafe. I don't know Space Alert. All I know is that there's a lot going on. It's, well, it's, this is the thing. It's a game that's played in real time. The game itself actually only takes 10 minutes to play, and it's the 10 most terrifying minutes you will ever spend playing a board game. 
It's, uh, they're, they're, you're in a spaceship and your only goal is to keep it from exploding for 10 minutes. And you're being attacked from all sides, you're being boarded, things are going wrong, there's malfunctions. All these things are happening at once and you somehow have to work together to keep your ship from blowing up during all this time. It's, nice. it's bedlam, it's crazy, and it's hilarious. But, we, should just, uh, we should just have a, a snakes cast of just that, the audio of just people screaming. That'd at be other. pretty awesome. Uh, but again, the, the, the problem is that there's this audio CD that plays that tells you when to play cards and where to put them and when to draw stuff and when things are happening. Well, so with the, with the amount of noise in the cafe, that's never really going to be viable. But it's a, it's a big favorite of mine for a lot of reasons. All right, so how does a co-op game work? How are you going to make a co-op game interesting when everybody's on the same team, you don't have any opponents sitting at the table, it's just the game itself is your opponent? In my opinion, the key to a good co-op game is there has to be a sense of tension. There's got to be a common threat that everybody has to be worried about. And that creates a sense of community between the players. And the stronger, the more dangerous this threat appears to be, the greater the sense of solidarity, the sense that we're all in this together. The essence of drama is conflict. It's true. And uh, in the ideal, and if you're not going to have conflict between the players, then there has to be a serious conflict uh, with the players being in this together against the game. Now, in the ideal co-op game, things at some point should look totally hopeless, but you find off, you find a way to pull it off somehow. Hopefully towards the end of the game and not the very start. Exactly. Uh, well, at the very start, if, if, if you do get a really big start, there should be the possibility, or at least this fear, that things could go south in a big hurry after Oh, for that. sure, for sure. And in games like, say, Flashpoint, uh, <laughs> that can happen very quickly. Flashpoint's a game where you're firemen trying to rescue victims from a burning building, and that fire can spread real fast. Easily one of my favorite games. If anyone goes takes a look on the website, my name's Travis. Uh, look at my uh, staff photo there. I have a just everything for Flashpoint. All that was out. an awesome photo. I, I love so that photo. Cool. <laughs> so, um, in competitive games, that tension is going to come from opponents. How do you create tension in a cooperative game? Now, the the game itself is going to be basically like an extra player who plays automatically, like a, like an AI in a computer game. And there's a, way, there's a number of ways it can provide tension. It can provide tension by having this threat that grows and grows over time. Like in Shadows Over Camelot, this Arthurian myth game, the, uh, the, number of camel, uh, the number of catapults that start appearing outside of Camelot represents the forces of darkness growing and getting ready to attack. And the more ca every catapult that gets added to that provides a sense of impending doom. Guys, we gotta start doing some of these quests. So that seems like it would work really well with games that have a strong narrative as well. If you can really Absolutely. apply a, a narrative to that game, that growing threat idea is just perfect. For sure. It uh, gets people emotionally invested in it, you know? For sure. So another possibility is the, the player's resources, instead of getting stronger, they're getting weaker. So they're running out of stuff. Like in Sentinels of the Multiverse, which is a superhero-themed cooperative game, uh, the heroes will gradually become uh, more beaten down and beaten down as they take damage through the game. And eventually, the villain may start to actually take down the heroes, putting them out of the fight. And as their numbers start to drop, that really ramps up the tension. Interesting. I really like the dwindling resources idea, specifically in Battlestar Galactica. Oh, for sure. It's, it's so perfect for that story, too. Yeah, you know, your, exactly. Your, your, your morale is running low, your, your water is running low, your fuel is running low. That, uh, that really ramps up the, the pressure. Everyone needs to work together just to hang on to what's left. <laughs> and uh, so time pressure is another way to do that. Obviously not every game is going to do this, but Space Alert, which I was talking about before, sure does. And there are a few others that do that as well. You've got One of the other things I think really uh, does a lot is if the changes that happen can be sudden. I mean, it looks like things are going a certain way, they're going a certain way, they're going, and then something crazy happens that was totally unexpected and sudden, like the outbreaks in Pandemic. 
you can see that uh, the cities in pandemic are getting more and more infected, but every once in a while, one of them will just explode and the infection spreads to nearby cities as well. And you have to keep meeting those crises together. You have to think of new ways. Uh, and especially with things like Pandemic and Flashpoint, where you both have those sudden changes, they also have specific roles. Um, what really works well in a co-op game is having jobs for each player <laughs> so that you're not trying to step on each other's toes. Sure. Uh, when you're given those specific roles and positions that you need to fulfill, your job becomes so important and you need to know what you can take on and what you can throw to other players. So each player is looking for different dangers that can be growing. Exactly. And uh, that, 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 that's a way to ramp up the tension without necessarily making it overwhelming, is to sort of divide the labor that way. One other way to do this is with information that's hidden, stuff that you know the other players don't know. We don't see that in a lot of cooperative games. Usually things are pretty much cards on the table. But Hanabi, which Hanabi you mentioned earlier... Hanabi is great for that. Hanabi is wonderful. It's really cool in that, uh, like I said earlier, it's very much like a set matching game. What's interesting about it is that you can see everyone's cards except for your own. And there that's are... so weird, holding your cards facing the opposite way. Yeah, it throws off everything that you know about a card game, but uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's very cool and you're so limited in what you're allowed to tell the other players. And you have to keep a poker face, you know, you can't actually tell people what they have except for certain specific things. And watching for those signals, trying to get, wait a minute, what did they mean by that? Why did they tell me that piece of information and not something else? It's, it really creates a unique kind of tension, which I think is really fascinating. So another challenge in co-op games is balance, because you've got one game versus a bunch of players. And that bunch of players might be two of you, or it might be six of you. And if you want a game that plays with two to six players, then the game has to be able to adapt. Otherwise, it's going to be too easy when there's six players and too hard when there's only two. Um, there's a few ways people do this. Like, uh, you're mentioning uh, Pandemic and Flashpoint. Yeah, what's interesting about what they do with that one is that you have certain threats that are faced and they make sure that it's repeated for each use of a player. Right. So, so on your turn, something good's going to happen. And also, something bad's going to happen. Exactly. So no matter how many players you have, it's, you know, it's, it stays balanced. And, and you can't think of it as a singular person for yourself because five more bad things will happen before it gets to your turn exactly. again. So you have to work as a team to plan ahead. So it plays differently when you have more players, but not necessarily harder. No, for sure. Just a different kind of challenge, which is kind of cool. Um, Sentinels of the Multiverse uh, and Arkham Horror and A Touch of Evil do a different thing. What they do instead is they just make the game harder. They ramp up the difficulty when there's more players by modifying the numbers. So, you know, that, that there's, there's, there's well, that's, no... Well, that's a very easy, seems like an easy and straightforward way to do it. Trying to add up those numbers must have been very difficult for them. And also, for sure. Like, it's tough from a design standpoint, or rather from a development standpoint, having to actually create those numbers and make it so that they're, that they're going to add up and the challenge is going to be even. Last Night on Earth gets around that by fixing the number of heroes at four. When you play Last Night on Earth, there's always four heroes, which means that sometimes players have to double up. Like, you've got three people playing heroes and one of them's going to have to play two, which is... It's, it's still a pretty good way of, of setting that, uh, that balance, though, because it will always be there, and th the players will change what they're doing, but, I mean, it's still the same game throughout, which is good. The hardest way to do that is to have bad stuff constantly happening. <laughs> uh, and Hanabi and Space Alert both do that, and that, that's the probably the hardest one to design, but the confusion that's created by that. See, that just sounds like a shift at the cafe to me. <laughs> Bad stuff constantly happening, we have to work it as a team, we have to figure it out, time pressure. Working at Snakes and Lattes is definitely a cooperative game. Yeah, with hopefully no traitors inside. <laughs> Alright, so one of the ways to, do, uh, to deal with one of the big problems of co-op games is having a traitor in your midst, but we'll get to that in a sec. Uh, the alpha player is something you might hear oh. gamer types talking about. If you're playing in a cooperative game where you're all in this together, sometimes there'll be one player who thinks they know the game better than everybody else and they really want to win, so they'll tell everybody what to do. 
especially working as a game guru, not only is it really frustrating to see that as a table, also when I go home to play games, I have to make sure that I'm not that person because I know the game better than most other folks just because I see it constantly. So there's a few ways to deal with that. One way is to just let it go. Yeah, accept that some people are going to be bossy and let that happen. Uh, the, the bit that you were mentioning before about giving each player a special thing that only they can do, like, uh, in, uh, like in Pandemic, for example, that, that, that lets you mix it up a little bit. Hidden information like Hanabi. That completely eliminates the element, which is, again, one of the things I love about Hanabi. I'm going to stop professing my love for that game, but <laughs> uh, it does remove that entirely. You can't have an alpha player when you're not allowed to talk to each other. And uh, going real-time like Space Alert is also a way to do that because the alpha player doesn't have time to tell everybody else what to do. They're too busy freaking out over whatever it is that's going on. The, uh, and, and as you were saying before, the traitor. Some, there's been a tendency in some co-op games recently, ever since Shadows Over Camelot was such a big success, and later on Battlestar Galactica, to have a traitor in the group's midst. Somebody who is actually trying to make the players lose. You're the spy one. Exactly. And uh, if, the, if, if, if everybody else loses, the traitor actually wins. And that, well, suddenly it's not really exactly a co-op game anymore, but it's a great way to get rid of the alpha player problem because if somebody's bossing you around, then maybe, maybe they're, they're the traitor. They totally could be. So it means people have to really make their own decisions. Uh, some games will also uh, make it more competitive by having it be a single winner. Like in Marvel Legendary, the, the Marvel Comics ah, spec-building yes. game, it's, it's not really a co-op. I mean, you can all, you're all fighting the villain, and if the villain wins, then everybody's going to lose. It's possible for everybody to lose, but you can't all win. But frankly, I think the best way to deal with the alpha player problem don't be the alpha player. Don't. Just, Just don't. Don't do it. Don't boss people around. Let people play the game. And find a polite way to tell the person. Friends don't let friends be alpha players. Absolutely. You heard it from the game gurus, folks. So somebody's going to get into some cooperative games. Somebody wants to dip their toes into this, into these waters, Travis. Which ones would you recommend as starting points? Hanabi. Uh, Hanabi, <laughs> Flashpoint. Pandemic is probably one of the easiest ones to start with, and then I would move up to Flashpoint you after know, that. I find Forbidden Island is actually, actually a right. bit easier. Forbidden you're Island's right. been referred to as Pandemic Light. Yes. And I think it offers about the same degree of challenge, but with a much gentler learning curve. And uh, so which ones do we recommend uh, going for from there? What's there for a real challenge? Uh, I would definitely ramp up to then Pandemic and then Flashpoint after that. Uh, there's lots of great ones out there between Castle Panic, Ghost Stories. Uh, Ghost Stories is really hard. Yeah. And uh, Yggdrasil is another one that just kills players. But uh, anyway. In the best way possible. <laughs> There are a lot of co-op games out there, folks. We don't have enough time to talk about all of them with you, but we hope you'll come and visit us at Snakes so we can introduce you to some of them ourselves. And then I can teach them to you guys. Awesome. Until then, I'm Jonathan Moriarty with Travis Ryans. Game on. Game on, guys. And thanks for listening. We'll have a new Snakes cast for you every week at snakesandlattes.com. In the meantime, you can follow us through your favorite social networking sites, such as Facebook and Twitter, or best of all, meet our gurus in person at Snakes and Lattes in Toronto. Until then, this is P.T. Douglas. Game on.